Kimberly, this last couple of years, Mother Nature has thrown a lot of heavy blows at our trees. We've gone from one extreme to another. We've had the winter storm in 2021, and we had below zero temperatures on consecutive nights. That was really hard on a lot of our trees. Yes, it was extremely hard. So, you know, thinking back to 21, you know, before that winter storm, we were close to the 80s, like a week before that. Yep. Um, and then after that winter storm, we were back up in the high 70s, 80s. And then that May, we had nonstop rain. Um, and then a drought for over a year. So all of these conditions have led to environmental stressors on all of our tree species across the board. Right. Um, and so with that, like we mentioned earlier, is that you're gonna possibly see signs of um, like symptoms that could look like oak wilt, mm -hmm. um, but they may not be oak wilt. Yeah, I've seen a lot of dead tips on canopies yeah. where that those extremities on those branches just froze back and it's caused all kinds of leaf deformations as these trees are trying to sprout back and, and that tissue's damaged and struggling to repair itself. Um, we've seen all kinds of major drought stress symptoms. A lot of times people think that's oak wilt, but it's really not. Yes. Um, it, it's hard sometimes as a professional to understand exactly what's going on at first glance until you start looking at the details and asking the questions and kind of considering the whole big picture. Um, w w I think we're going to see consequences of these weather patterns for years to come on our trees. I I've seen an increase in wood-boring insects, an increase in um, trees that have lost big chunks of bark on the trunk where yes. they've suffered freeze damage and the live oaks were especially hard hit. Yeah, live oaks, you saw a lot of the frost cracks that you're talking about on them. Uh, but surprisingly, this year, we're starting to see a lot of damage on post oaks as well. Um, and it's I'm contributing a lot of that back to that winter storm, but we're seeing hypoxylin on post oaks, and I'm seeing it all the way from my eastern counties to my western counties across the board. Yeah, and that's a, that's a big um, pathogen that comes in and takes out stress trees. So yes. you know that with these different weather extremes, heat and drought, that uh, that those trees are getting hit hard when they start showing up with hypoxylin. Yes, and post oaks, they cannot handle stress very well. They're kind of big babies that way, right? They don't like being handled. They don't like, you know, there's certain things that are kind of finicky, but um, they're beautiful trees. And it's a shame to see a lot of them dying right now from that stress and being affected by hypoxylin. And yeah, and, and they're kind of irreplaceable here in an urban setting because we don't have any regeneration going on no. and you can't exactly go into the nursery and buy one and plant it. Um, so the ones that we have here in uh, developed areas, we should uh, be trying to reduce that stress on so we can keep them. Yes, and there, you know, there's a few things that you can do as far as minimizing stress, you know, practicing proper pruning times, techniques, um, making sure that if we go through another drought or a long period without rain, make sure that you are giving your trees water and making sure that you're not watering right up next to the trunk of the tree. Because if you water right next to the trunk, you can uh, risk rot. So you want to water actually out near the canopy drip line. Yeah. One other thing that is real great about post oaks is that they're, they're pretty resistant to oak wilt compared to our red oak and live oak population. I, I'm sure there's been cases of it. I know there's recorded cases of oak wilt on post oak, but where I live in Northeast Tarrant County, we have primarily post oaks and, and I have not ever seen an actual case of 
confirmed oak wilt uh, on a post oak in that area. Yeah, I have not either. So they are a little bit more resistant to oak wilt. They can still get it, of course, because they are an oak, um, but they have a better ability of compartmentalizing themselves compared to our red and live oaks. Yes. So Kimberly, um, there's probably not a whole lot we could have done to prepare for that 2021 freeze. Our trees were unprepared for it. We were unprepared for it. Uh, you know, it kind of shut the whole state down for a, a better part of a week. But um, maybe putting some mulch out, a heavy layer of mulch can help insulate the soil and some of the roots. That might have prevented uh, some damage that I saw on surface roots on a lot of live oaks. And uh, Yeah, doing, you know, a, a layer of mulch, you know, no more than three inches because you don't want it to hold in that moisture. But, a, you know, layer of a mulch about three inches deep is gonna be able to insulate that soil to be able to keep that soil around the root system warmer than the surrounding temperatures. Right. Um, one of the things I noticed, one of the patterns that I saw is that the species that were breaking dormancy earlier got hurt a lot more than species that break dormancy later. And even within some of our species, we have a lot of genetic variability, especially in yes. our oaks that where we might have red oaks on the same property that are the same species or the same age and one just historically breaks dormancy before the other one those were the ones that i saw injured over and over were those that were breaking dormancy early yeah no that you're you're correct those are the ones that were probably the most damaged out of all of our trees um you know to be fair though you know again the we, for that winter storm, it was in close to the 80s. So it was acting like springtime. And so trees were responding, plants were responding as such, right? Um, so those temperatures triggered those trees to start, you know, budding out and putting on flowers. And so that contributed to their stress. Right, and, and I got a lot of questions for people that had two live oaks or two red oaks in their yard and one was injured and one was not. Well. Why did this one get hurt and this one didn't? It's because of that genetic variability. Um, another thing is I remember sitting in my cold dark house with no power, wondering which trees are gonna be more affected by this because we hadn't really experienced anything like this. This was kind of a, a, a first time for just about all of us to have this kind of weather. And, yeah. and I remember thinking magnolias are probably gonna get nailed, but they didn't. I was shocked at how well they performed. I saw some with some foliar damage and, and then they shed those leaves and they actually look pretty good. Whereas other trees that I expected to to be durable, uh, like, like the post oaks, um, we saw a lot of injury. Yeah, so I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, the one, the weight of the branches too, because um, you have a lot of people that they don't do a normal pruning, right? And you have a lot of land in the area where if people have huge landmass, they can't go out there and prune all of their trees. Um, but they have some heavier uh, limbs, okay? So they're at risk of being you know, weighted down and more chance of breakage in that sense. Uh, magnolias, most of the time, I don't see super huge magnolias in my, closer to the Weatherford area. A lot of times they're smaller trees um, and they have smaller limbs. So there's not as much area for the ice to really form on them and weigh them down. Yeah, they don't tend to form big, long, overextended branches yeah. and get real heavy on the ends. But I was surprised at, at how they tolerated the cold without really getting injured. I didn't see much dieback that I felt like was caused by the cold. I, I, I think it's because they break dormancy later. 
and yeah. they don't really start getting, even though they're evergreen, they're still dormant. Um, and we don't start seeing that activity on them until later in the spring. And, and as well as other species like pecans that are real late to break dormancy and crepe myrtles, they, some of the crepe myrtles did get hurt, but not at the rate that I would have expected. But I think it played to their advantage that they're late to break dormancy. And I think that helped them get through the, the, that stressful period during that freeze. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So. Yeah. so when these trees are, are injured by these kind of stressful environmental conditions, um, one of the things that we recommend is um, a, a deep root feeding. We use lower rates of nitrogen than a lot of others, but we also include these soil conditioners in our deep root. And, and it's, we call it TMP, the tree renewal process. And what, what it's, what's different about it is the organics that we're putting in there, fulvix, uh, humates, liquid biochar. We're trying to improve the quality of the soil as well as provide the tree the nutrients that it needs to run its biological processes so that it can kind of get through these stressful periods and, and have um, the resources in place to recover. Yeah, so I don't normally recommend um, fertilizer just because a lot of times trees don't need it. Um, and also I'm dealing with most time big landowners. And so that's not practical for them to go out and fertilize a huge area. Um, sorry, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't do much fertilizing. Okay, um, we'll just cut that part, Zach. Well, I, I do a lot of it. Okay. And um, yeah, it, in urban settings, Right, it, it's so different than in a woodlot, right? In the woodlot, you've got all this organic matter and everything's getting recycled, but yeah. this is a very unnatural habitat for a tree. Yeah. And the, these soils are devoid of organic matter. Everyone picks up all the leaves and bags them up, takes them out. We're planting grass, we're irrigating, we're leaching the nitrogen out. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, we're, we're making allowances for that. And, and it's different than what you see in, in your rural areas primarily that you're at. Um, and, and I do think that the trees get nitrogen deficient and they uh, they benefit from low kind of maintenance doses of it. Not, I'm not talking like, you know, three pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet and we're pumping them and getting shoots of growth like this. That's not what we do. Yeah. We look at it holistically and we're trying to improve the soil. We're trying to improve, you know, the objective of the fertilization isn't to make the tree grow, it's to make sure that it's got everything it needs so it can be healthy and more resistant to stress and things like that. Yeah. So that's our purpose. No, yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. I had a landowner actually in Dallas last year, they fertilized in the middle of July mm -hmm. um, and they told me what fertilizer they use and I can't remember the brand, but you go on this website mm -hmm. and you're digging and in small fine print it says, do not use under trees. Oh. And I'm like, oh, well, no wonder your tree died. Yeah, um, it might have been a weed and feed. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was actually for the lawn. Um, yes. And so that they were more worried about their um, St. Augustine yes. lawn. Yes, I see that a lot. Um, yeah. So weed and feeds, generally bad news for trees, yes. especially the ones that say for Southern lawns because they typically got atrazine in them, which moves in the soil a lot and the trees suck it up and then it really bangs them up and makes them look pretty wretched. Yeah, the fertilizer is meant for the grass is not meant for the trees. So there's different, it's a totally different ball game. Yeah. So last summer we had, I, th 
think 40 days of 100 degree weather. It was brutally hot. We had 60, 70 days in some areas with no measurable precipitation. That's really hard on our trees. I'm sure you've seen a lot of trees suffering the way I have just from last summer. Oh yes, most definitely. Um, and actually in, in closer on the western side, there were some days of 60 plus over 105 degree temps. And there were some days we were getting close to 105, uh, 115, sorry, um, and just no rain. So from that May of 21, we had tons of rain. And then since then, um, we just didn't have anything measurable. Um, now the Dallas area got a little bit more than the western side. Um, but it was just, it affected the trees severely. Right. Um, one thing that I share with my customers about drought stress and why it's important to water the trees is the trees need that water for photosynthesis. They're not feeding themselves if they don't have any water. So it's important to get that water deep, but not every day. Oh yes. Yeah. Last year, I, that was one of the common questions I would get asked is how often should I be watering? And some people would say, yeah, I'm watering every single day. It's like, oh, please don't do that. That can cause just as much stress as the drought yeah, can. Kill them with kindness. <laughs> yeah. Um, without yeah. even meaning to you think you're doing good, right? right. Um, I share with my customers that the goal should be to water deeply, but infrequently as possible. Yes. And the trees are adapted to soil moisture that goes up and down. Because as we know around here, it's either raining all the time or it doesn't rain at all. And the soil temperature, I mean, and not the temperature, but the soil moisture levels really fluctuate a lot. And, and if the soil's staying saturated, that's not healthy for the tree either. No, it's not. So if the, you know, if the soil is staying saturated, um, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, trees, you know, they breathe oxygen through the root system. So if they're being essentially drowned by the water, you know, that people are putting on their lawn just nonstop, they can't get the oxygen that they need. Um, and our trees that are here, our native trees, they are um, drought resistant trees. Um, they have evolved to not need as much water. They are used to our droughty and hot conditions. Um, now, sometimes like this last summer, <laughs> um, can put some over the edge. Yep. It can be a little much even for our native trees when we have a summer like that. Yeah. And, and then the trees that live in irrigated areas kind of get a little spoiled. They and, do. And so if, if those trees are all getting too dry and for extended periods, Another side effect of that drought stress is wood-boring insects. Yes, and you know, wood-boring insects are can be a sign of you know drought stress or a contributing factor to drought stress, but they can also be a contributing factor to that winter storm that we've talked about as well. Um, a good rule of thumb to even know if you need to water your lawn um, is if they have a screwdriver that's anywhere from six to eight inches long. If they can easily get that into the soil, they probably don't need a water. Right, and and again making sure that you're not watering too much because that can cause just as much problem as yes. watering too little, especially on our native trees. Yes, and focusing that watering around the drip line of the canopy is really important. You don't want to focus that right on the trunk. So Kimberly, thanks for joining me here today. I had a really good time talking about trees and hearing your perspective. Yeah, I really enjoyed it also. It was, I think it was a very good conversation. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed having you here today. Hopefully we can do it again. <laughs>